You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Hey, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you got to see me today. Awesome. It's always good to be seen. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at today. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, excited to kick off this series, the Get in the Game series, um, uh, today with uh, the first message, which is uh, the, titled it, The Father's uh, Love. So uh, today, uh, it's just me and Olivia. We left William, our 17-month-old son, back home to stay with my parents. And uh, that was his first time to stay the night over there. We really don't care how he's doing. We're just really enjoying this time. With, uh, so I'm sure he's in a safe place and doing great. So uh, I saw this morning he was naked with a bottle of milk, so I'm sure he's doing fine. So... Uh, but we drove up here last night and had a good, you know, two and a half hour adult conversation. That was a sweet moment. And then we get to our, our, our hotel. We're at Hampton Inn and we walk into Hampton Inn and, <clears throat> and we're kind of getting things, you know, put away. And, and uh, Olivia was like, hey, there's a, uh, there's a cricket on the ground. She's like, will you, will you take care of that? And uh, I'm going to go ahead and play my cards to you guys and just be real. I don't, I don't do creepy crawlies. I don't do things that jump spontaneously. That's just not my deal. And so I look at her like, you know better than to ask me to do that. And she's looking at me like, are you, are you really? Can, just squash the cricket. Just squash the thing. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to squash it. I can't do it. I don't know if it's because I've gotten maybe with, you know, having a son. I don't know if I've just got like a little softer or something. But I just didn't have the heart to squish this cricket. I know this seems like a really big deal. It wasn't, but I'm, I'm making it to be a big deal. But there was this cricket, so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to let this, I'm going to free this little guy back off into the wild. So I, I grab, I'm not touching it with my hands. I grab some toilet paper and, and I grab that thing. Olivia's rolling her eyes at me like, just squish the freaking cricket. You know, she's, and then so I take the cricket. And I le- release it out in the wild, but out in the wild, I mean the, the Hampton Inn hallway, and I throw it out there, that little guy, he's just hopping around the, the hallway. And so anyways, I gave him a new lease on life. I gave him uh, a second, second chance. And so, um, you know, hey, go bother somebody else in another hotel room. So I gave him a second chance. And, we, you know, we all love second chances, don't we? You know, we, it, it's, um, it, it's great to get a second opportunity, like a new lease you know, on life. And, you know, and I'm glad that we serve a God of second chances that, you know, really we had one chance. We blew it. Why? Because we have a sin nature that causes us to, uh, to miss the mark. God's purpose for our life causes us to, to live a life that is unrighteous. And so we're separated from God, but yet God in his, his grace, his holiness, and in his love sent his son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for us and to serve us in our time of need and gives us a second chance uh, gives us a second chance at life. And so as we launch into this Get In The Game series, you know, I've often wondered, like, you know, I know there's things, like, when you look at this, 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 this booklet, I mean, there's countless things to do. I mean, there's so much to do and to serve, especially with a body of this size that we have to do in the church. There's so many things to do. But I think more importantly than the things that we do is really what we become. What we become is so much more important. So I've been asking, like, the Lord, like, what do we need to Become. What do we need to uh, become? And here's the thing is I think we must be a gospelly people. We need to be a people that is built up and motivated by the good news that one, we were dead, but now we are alive. That we were blind, but now we see. That we were stuck in our flesh, but now we are living by the Spirit. That we were lost, but now we're found. That we were bound for hell, but now we're bound for heaven. 
All because we have a God who is in heaven, who saw the need of humanity. He knows the need of humanity, but chose not to stay into heaven, but to come down to put on the skin of man. That came down to serve man. That came ultimately to give his life as a ransom for many. Why? That we could have a second chance. So why? We could fully live. We could fully live. All because we have a God willing to sacrifice his son. So I wonder if there are people in here, I wonder if there are like people out there in the community that are looking for a second chance, and really what it takes is for you and me to just serve so they can't have a second chance. You know, I think about the gentleman, the deacon, who was 60-something years old when I was 23 that, that served me and ultimately led me to coming to church, hearing the gospel, and getting saved. And I think that's what we see God doing for us. So today, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, which is the most kind of gospel-centric, you know, passage of Scripture that I've, uh, that's like, it's so intense of gospelness kind of in here, that I want us to look at that today to think through, like, what is it, like, because here's the deal, as friends, like, if we can, if we want to serve, if we're going to be mobilized to serve, we can do it out of job, we can do it out of duty, we can do it out of obligation, but man, it is a joy when we realize that we have a God who loves us, who has served us, and has empowered us to do the same. So I want us to hone in today on the Father's love for you and the Father's love for me. So Ephesians chapter 2, real briefly on some context here, is that you have Paul, he's speaking to a church uh, in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of who they were, who they are, and who he's made them to be, all right? So who they were, who they are, and who he has made them to be. So he starts off the first part here with who they were. Look at verse uh, 1 through 3 for me. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the first thing that that Paul says here is he's telling this group, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So he's not talking about being physically dead. He's talking about being spiritually dead, that you were a walking spiritual zombie, you were dead. Why? Because of trespasses. So when you think of that term trespass, where do you see it? You usually see it on a piece of property, and it means, hey, don't go there. Don't go on the other side of the fence. Don't go through this gate. Uh, and that's kind of the idea that we see in Genesis, where you see that God has told Adam and Eve, hey, you can go anywhere in the garden. You can do anything you want to do. Just don't trespass this one tree. Don't go and eat of this tree. And what do they do? They trespass and they break God's law, and therefore sin enters the world and enters into you and enters into me. It says they're dead because of sin. Sin, it means to, to miss the mark. So God says, hey, I want you to go this way with your life. This is the purpose for your life. And we just say, you know what? I'm, God, I don't really like that direction. I'm actually going to go this direction. I'm going to go this way with my life because this just seems like a better idea. And so Paul kind of gives a baseline truth to them is this is who you once were. You were spiritually dead. Why? Because you have broken God's law and you completely missed the point of your life. You've completely missed the purpose of your life. Okay, and we weren't alone in this. Look what it says. We actually had a family. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So it's the idea that we were spiritually dead, walking zombies with the course of the world, meaning that this is where most people are going. This is where most of the world is heading, is like this spiritual zombie of being dead because of trespasses and sins. And it even says that there is a leader of the pack. Look at what it says. 
It says, The prince following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is a big fancy term for the devil. So he's saying here, hey, you were dead in your sins, you broke God's law, you did whatever you want, you were following the world, and you were being led by the devil. He's basically, he's calling them devil followers. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a devil follower. Just don't do that. Just kidding. Don't do that. But that's the picture that Paul is painting. And so what did it look like? Was we were following, you know, being dead in our sins, following the world, being led by the devil. He tells us, look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we just lived out of the passions of our flesh, the, the desires of our body, the, de, the desires of our mind. We just did whatever we want. Whatever our mind could concoct is what we did. Whatever our heart could think of, whatever our, our flesh wanted, that's what we did. And, you know, it's like, I, I think I've told you guys this before, like when I, my, part of my testimony is I felt like I just wanted to, you know, my BC days, I just wanted to follow, I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. Like, I just, if I could get what I want, if I could have what I want, then I would always be satisfied. And that's kind of this picture that Paul is painting is that we just did simply whatever we wanted. And this was just by nature to us. Um, I think about uh, when I was a kid, like, I'm talking four or five years old. If I got mad at my mom, I would hide the silverware in the kitchen. So take that, you know, that little dish that you got the spoons and the knives and the forks. I just take that puppy and I would go hide that sucker. And so she knew if that was missing, Mitch is mad about something. There's something that he's upset about. Y'all, here's the deal. There was nobody in my life, my dad and my sisters, they didn't come up to me and say, hey, come here, Mitch. When mom makes you mad, hide the silverware. They didn't say that. That was just like natural in my little four and five year old heart to just be malicious, to just be deceitful, to be angry, to sin. And so that's kind of this picture that Paul is painting is that we were all in this state. It says we all once walked following the course of this world. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and mind. And it says at the very end, it says that we had this nature. It says that we were children of wrath. So it doesn't mean we're wrathful people, but it does mean that we were under the wrath of God. And so, you know, we talk about salvation. It's typically thought of, hey, we're being saved from our sins, or we're being saved from the devil, or saved from ourselves, or all these things, which, you know, is kind of true. That's kind of a sub thing. But really, ultimately, what we're being saved from is the wrath of God, because what Paul is teaching in verses 1 through 3 is that if you are living in this way, or if you are in verses 1 through 3 in your spiritual state, you are a child of wrath, which means you're under the wrath of God. That if you were to die, you would experience the wrath of God and live eternally in hell. That is your nature, is what Paul says. Verses 1 through 3. And so here Paul paints this like big gross picture of all this debt that we've racked up. That we are sinners. That we are following the world. We are following the devil. Doing whatever we wanted. We were children of wrath. And we're racking up this sin debt over and over and over. And this sin debt that we have gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's just no way that we can eliminate it. It's too much. We can't pay God off to get out of it. We can't do enough good things to get out of it. There's no amount of spiritual disciplines that will help us get on God's good side. Nothing. You know, I got a, a buddy of mine who, who cuts my hair, and he, uh, 
um, we used to pay with this Capital One Venture card. You got like airline miles and travel miles, all those things. And I paid, and he's like, oh, hey, is that one of those deals where you get travel miles and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, we use it sometimes. And he's like, oh, man, I'm going to get one of those. Well, a couple months later, I, I go get my haircut, and he's like, dude, he goes, you know they're charging me for using that? I said, yeah, man, if you don't pay your bill at the end of the month, you get charged interest rate. He goes, nobody told me that. I'm like, you're 35 years old. You ought to know how a credit card works, dude. But that's what happens with us is we get all this debt. We get it all racked up over and over and over, and we can't pay for it. We don't have... It's insane. There's nothing we can do to get rid of it. Nothing. And so Paul paints this picture of like, friends, you are lost. You aren't just lost. You are following the devil. You aren't just following the devil, but you are doing whatever you want to do, and you are a child of wrath with a sin debt that was more than you could ever pay. More than you could ever pay. And the only thing that will eliminate it is a sin debt is a perfect sacrifice of love, which we see in verse 4 through 5. Look at what Paul says. He says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so he contrasts these two pictures here, verse 1 through 3, all this sin debt, all this evilness, all of this just junk and all this despair, but yet he shows us over here, but yet there was an intervention But God intervened in our life. Why did He intervene? Because He is rich in mercy. Why else did He intervene? Because He he has a great amount of love that He comes and He makes us alive in Jesus. Friends, what we see in verses 1 through 3 is that we have a debt that we can't pay. That we have debt in our pockets, in every single pocket, and there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. There's nothing we can do to pay for it. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. But yet Paul says, hey, you know what it takes to eliminate that is a great deal of mercy and love. And guess what? We have a God who is rich in mercy. He can pay that debt. We have a God who is great in love. He can pay that debt. And guess what? He, he made that, he made good on that promise by says, sending his son Jesus. It says, by his, <clears throat> by, his, uh, by his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. That even while, think about this, y'all, that even while we're dead in sin, following the devil, doing all of those things, God was still rich in love and mercy towards us. How hard it is to love somebody who turns their back on you. That's hard. Somebody that really disrespects you. Somebody that doesn't give anything about you. To turn their back, but yet God says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, following the enemy. I mean, I just think about God for a second, that He has created us to love Him, and He watches humanity follow the enemy. But yet He has so much mercy. He has so much love that even when we were dead, it says that He made us alive together with Christ. He sent Christ on our behalf. It says, by grace you have been saved. It's more than we can imagine. It's more than we deserve. It is above and beyond anything. So God doesn't just do us a solid by paying our sin debt. He gives us grace. He gives us Jesus and rescuing us and bringing us into His family. Look at verse 6 and 7. And He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. So he doesn't just leave us, he does like he just saves us and puts us on a good path, but he saves us and then he brings us into his family. And he doesn't just bring us into his family, but he showers the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness on us. It's insane. It's like, it's like a commercial. It just keeps getting better. That God doesn't just love us, but God actually likes us and he brings us into his family and he showers us with grace and kindness over and over and over and over again. You know, it's like I had a... Uh, I had a friend of mine um, who uh, uh, dated uh, Terry Bradshaw's daughter, who, you know, Terry Bradshaw is like the um, NFL analyst on Fox NFL, uh, won a couple of Super Bowls, pretty big deal. So he's dating his daughter. So I thought, okay, I got to figure out how to third wheel this thing. This was before I was married. So I did. So I have a third wheel this thing. They're like, hey, let's, uh, you know, one day she's like, hey, do y'all want to go check out my dad's house? I was like 19 or so. I was like, yes, we'd love to go see your dad's house. So this is like pretty cool opportunity. So we drive over there, big number 12 on the gate. And man, we go through the gate, big sprawling mansion with horse barns. And this was so cool. And it was like a Monday. So it was like, you know, he's not here because he's doing his, his Sunday thing. Well, <clears throat> we're walking up to the house and we're walking in the garage. And then out of the garage door comes Terry Bradshaw. I mean, he wasn't looking all orange. He was really great looking because he didn't have his makeup on. But there he was. I was like... This, is, this just got better. Like, wow, this is cool. And so he's a really sweet, sweet guy. And we had great conversation. It was awesome. And then he goes, hey, um, w- would you guys want to come over next week for a barbecue? What? Yeah, 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 I would love to, Terry. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, I would love to. So we came over the next week. He made barbecue. And we had an awesome time. It was so cool. It was like this thing just like kept getting better. And not only that, but then he invited us over to watch Monday Night Football. Well, he invited his daughter and her boyfriend, but I came too. And so they Googled eyes, and I watched football with Terry Bradshaw. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life because I love football. I love it. And it was like it just kept getting better and better and better. And that's kind of this idea that Paul is giving us is that, is that it's not like God doesn't just save us. He doesn't just say, hey, you're in a bad spot. Let me put you in a good spot. But he says, you know what? Let me bring you into my family. And don't just, not just let me bring you into my family, but I'm going to shower the immeasurable riches of my grace and kindness all over you forever and ever and ever. The immeasurable riches. You know how much immeasurable is? You don't know. You can't measure it. It just keeps coming. And that's this idea that Paul is getting across to us. And so how does this happen? Look what it says in verse 8. Paul shares with us the science of this. He says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He says this is grace. It's, you can't earn this. You don't deserve this. It is way beyond your capacity. It's way beyond your ability. This gift of salvation I'm giving you. And you're saved. You're saved what, from the wrath of God through faith. It's when, when we respond to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're the Lord and Savior of our life. That's faith. Like, I'm trusting that you died for my sins. I'm trusting that you're Lord over all creation, and I'm following you for the rest of my days. That's what it is. That's what faith is. And he says, this is not your own doing. It's God's gift. God graciously gives this to us. It's not a result of works, so that we wouldn't boast about it. The thing, we, there's no way we could get this on our own. There's no way. But God gives it to us 
through Jesus who comes as a man and to serve us. And this is the last part here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word uh, workmanship there is the Greek word poema, which is where we get our word poem. You know, poem is a, is a song. It's a story. It's telling a story. It's a unique story. And so it's the idea that Paul's saying is like we're, we're each and every one of us are something handcrafted, crafted in the hand of God. And the reason why we're handcrafted is he says that because of what Jesus has done and has created in Christ Jesus, because God wants to send us out for good works in which he had prepared beforehand for us to do. And so it, it, it's like this idea that he says, I, I love that when he says, you know, God thought about this beforehand. So God has been thinking about you before the creation of the world. That God has been thinking about you before your mama and daddy. God was thinking about you before grandma and grandpa. God has been thinking about you, that you would come to be, that you would be dead in your sin because of the fallen nature of humanity, but yet there would be a time where Jesus intervened in your life. And you experience grace and you experience mercy. And God begins to turn the test into a testimony, the mess into a message. Why? Because the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ has invaded your life. And God is crafting you in Christ Jesus. Why? So that he would then send you out into the world for the good works that he has planned for you. This whole passage is God crafting a story in each and every one of us of being dead in sin, alive in Christ, and sent out into the world for good works. God's plan for our life, it is good works, that everything that Jesus works in us, he wants to work out of us, that God is working out this poem about you and about me onto this world so this world may come to know Jesus. And so here's, here's where we're going today. I, I've got two points here for application. Here's the first one is this, is that serving starts with sacrifice. Is that serving starts with sacrifice. You know, the moment 2,000 two years ago when, when God became a man, it didn't happen because we got our act together. Uh, it didn't happen because somehow we reached up to God. It didn't happen because God finally deemed us as worthy. It happened when humanity was dead in its sin, turning its back on God when God intervened in history. Because God was rich in love that He stooped down to serve those who need it the most, and it cost Him His most precious and His only Son. It costs Him to serve. So serving starts with sacrifice, and what this passage teaches us is that serving always comes with a cost. It costs the Father a Son. It costs the Son His life. You know, I think about this. Like, what if Jesus didn't intervene in history? What if he didn't intervene on behalf of humanity? But yeah, what if Jesus just like stood up here and, and we're all down here and he's just like, hey, I love you guys. I hope, hope y'all have a good time down there. Like, figure it out. Okay, uh, you know, what, what do we do? Jesus, I thought you loved us. Oh, I, I do love you, but I'm going to stay up here. Like, like, come on. I mean... Fellas, tell your wife you love her, but don't do any acts of kindness or service or anything like that. You'll figure out real quick, that does not fly. But no, Jesus says, you know what, I love you so much that I'm willing to set aside the glory of heaven to become a man. And I'm not just going to set the glory aside, but I'm actually going to come to serve man. And I'm actually not just going to come to serve man, but I'm actually going to come to give my life for humanity. And you see that what Jesus, it continually costs him every step of the way. Why? Because he loves us.
He loves us. And so service starts with sacrifice. And if service starts with sacrifice, then sacrifice starts with love. This is God being rich in mercy and love, was moved to sacrifice His Son to serve the world by giving His life. The, the love that He has first shown us, that we extend that love to each other and to our community. And so if you're here today as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that God has saved you from the darkness of sin and, sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. Why? Because He loves you. And He doesn't just love you. He really likes you. He, God really does like you. I mean, that's really hard for me to believe because I'm always like, well, yeah, of course God loves me. It's his character. He's supposed to do that. But no, God actually likes Mitch. He actually wants to spend some time with Mitch, and he actually wants to spend some time with you, and he enjoys you. He loves you. He really does. When was the last time you let that sink in? Because, friends, if we don't let the love of God just sink into our, our mind and our heart and our soul, um, Serving will feel like a job. Serving will feel like a duty. Serving will feel like an obligation. And it'll just be a weight, and you'll just kind of dread doing it. You'll kind of dread going to church. And that, friends, that's no way to live. But when we rest in the love that God has for us, we can serve the body in our community. Because here's the thing. God doesn't work His grace and mercy in us so we keep it to ourselves. He works it in us so we can give it away. It says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works to lavish on the world. As God lavishes grace and mercy on us, we lavish that on the world. We give it away. So let me land the plane with this. Caden, if you and your crew want to go ahead and come on up, brother. Is what would it look like if our entire body here, by body, I mean our church, was moved to serve this community and to serve each other? What would that look like? if we all just were mobilized to do that. And I want to give you a passage of Scripture real quick. I mentioned it a little bit last week at the beginning of my message. Um, it says this, Ephesians 3, 7-10, through 10, it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says, this gospel was given to me to tell everybody about it. Why? So that it would be in the church. It would be in you. It would be in me so that through the church, through you and through me, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. It's the idea that the manifold wisdom, it's this idea that, that it's, it's a multifaceted wisdom of God. The glory of God would be beheld. Why? When the body is living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Olivia, this is the last thing I promise, Kay, and I got you up here a little early. Um, when Olivia and I were, were we, I told her I loved her in two months or two and a half months. Went ahead and bought the ring month three. I said, why not? We're pedal the metal. Let's get this thing going. So buy the ring. I go in there. I don't have any jewelry. I've got like an Iron Man watch. That was it about this time. I know nothing about jewelry. He's laying out these diamonds. And as he's laying out these diamonds, I'm, he's showing me these diamonds. I'm like, man, these things are gorgeous. And he's just like turning this diamond. And you see that every side is different. Every side is unique. But every side is so beautiful as he keeps turning it. And that's the idea that Paul is getting across here, that when the church is living out the gospel, it's like a diamond 
with all these multiple facets, all of these sides that are all beautiful in their own unique way. And all of it together is displaying the glory of God. What if I would have handed her an engagement ring with no diamond in it? One, I'd be in trouble. But two, um, there's no glory to that. This church building, all these ministry and all these systems is like that engagement ring. But friends, we don't display the glory of God until you and me individually and corporately begin to live the love, the love that God has put in, begin to live that out to serve our body and to serve the community. God's love moves us to sacrifice, and sacrifice will move us to serve. And friends, when we serve, we might be serving someone who needs a second chance, just like that deacon did for me when I was 23 years old. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.